Our first reading this morning is from the poet Sharon Olds. It's a piece called Topography. After we flew across the country, we got into bed, laid our bodies delicately together, like maps laid face to face, east to west, my San Francisco against your New York, your Fire Island against my Sonoma, my New Orleans deep in your Texas, my Kansas burning against your Kansas, your Kansas burning against my Kansas, your Eastern Standard Time pressing into my Pacific Time, my mountain time beating against your Central Time, your sun rising swiftly from the right, my sun rising swiftly from the left, your moon rising slowly from the left, my moon rising slowly from the right until all four bodies of the sky burn above us, sealing us together. All our cities, twin cities, all our states united, one nation indivisible with liberty and justice for all. What an incredible gift. Thank you. You don't have to be good. You don't have to walk on your knees for a hundred miles through the desert, repenting. You only have to let the soft animal of your body love what it loves. Tell me about despair, yours, and I'll tell you mine. Meanwhile, the world goes on. Meanwhile, the sun and the clear pebbles of the rain are moving across the landscapes, over the prairies and the deep trees, the mountains and the rivers. Meanwhile, the wild geese high in the clear blue air are heading home again, whoever you are. No matter how lonely, the world offers itself to you, your imagination, calls to you like the wild geese, harsh and exciting, over and over, announcing your place in the family of things. So I'm curious, how many of you were here last uh, last Sunday when Jen Crow was preaching, a bunch of you, yeah. I, I heard it was an amazing, profound, powerful Sunday all, all the way through. Um, and it was a great start to this Sex and Spirit sermon series, I heard. I was in Appleton, Wisconsin, guest preaching at the Unitarian Universalist Fellowship there. They had asked me to preach months ago as they launched their um, finan- annual financial drive in their church, and I love talking about the spiritual practice of generosity and giving, and so I was happy to be there. As some of you know, I love that. I was happy to be there, but there was a part of me that was like, "Mm, bodies and sex and spirit here in this church. I want to be here in this church and here in that. So luckily, we have three more 
Sundays. And I want to thank um, Jen for kicking us off last Sunday and the work that Ruth did and our musicians and the people who are a part of that service. We have three more Sundays where we're going to dig into this topic, which is good, I was thinking, on the drive back from Appleton and this sleet, snow, ice, rain thing. I actually pulled over for a little bit. To, I couldn't drive. I was thinking about all these things, though, because there's so much to say. There's so much to say about bodies, about intimacy, about relationships or not being in a relationship and still loving ourselves and our bodies. There's so much to say about shame, about the ways our bodies have been treated, the way we treat our own bodies. There's so much to say about pornography and sexual addiction. So much to say about the energy and power and sacredness of healthy sexual intimacy. And what I was thinking on this drive back, what I was realizing is that it is challenging. I felt, this was a week ago, I was thinking about this, I felt my own body sort of, not tensing up, but I was wondering how how would we come at this because there's so much to say about these things that are just fundamental to our lives. Bodies, intimacy, sex, spirit, central things in our lives, and yet they are challenging to talk about. When I grew up, I grew up in a Unitarian Universalist church. I will tell you what, there was no one preaching from the pulpit about that stuff. No one. So there weren't a lot of models in my life. I was also thinking, reflecting on this drive back, how important this conversation, these conversations are, and how vulnerable they can make us feel. The places they touch in each of our lives in different ways, old memories or yearnings or longings or places of joy, they touch so much, and they touch each each of us in different ways. So in four weeks, we're in week two, in four weeks, we cannot possibly touch, we cannot possibly name or speak to all of the issues or the kinds of relationships that exist or the challenges in relationships. We are just scratching the surface. So this morning, I wanted to acknowledge that, and I also want to pick right up from where Jen left us a week ago. I want to pick up where she left us, and she left us with the body, you'll remember. She left us with the fact that we live in bodies, and the body is good. And she left us, I read the sermon and listened to it, she left us with this invitation for this spiritual practice that was profound, which was to stand naked in front of a full-length mirror to take time to do that, to say, that's my body, that's where my spirit is lives in that body, that body that maybe is aging, maybe doesn't look the way we would like it to look, but it's the home of your spirit. That was the invitation, the spiritual practice, this reminder that the body is good. It's not tainted by original sin. The body is not something to distrust or to punish. The body is good. And I want to pick that idea up and just take that idea a little bit further and suggest this morning that the body is actually a sacred text. The body is a sacred story. What do I mean? 
Well, if we start with the idea of a sacred text, literally we can understand parts of the Christian scripture, the Jewish, the Hebrew text, to be sacred. We can understand parts of the Quran or Buddhist teachings, a Buddhist sutra about compassion or non-attachment as sacred texts, as wisdom that guides and shapes and informs our lives. Those are sacred texts, tells us something about matters of faith and spirit. And then our own faith tradition, we've opened that understanding of what a sacred text is. In this tradition, we see wisdom and insight coming in the form and the shape of poetry or of song or anything, really, that is a guiding light in our life that gives us a bearing, an orientation, an insight into how to live a good life. Poetry, song, those also can be sacred texts. An example of this might be if you're married, your wedding vows might be your sacred text, the text that you go back to year after year to reorient and remind yourself. Or a sacred text in your life with this broader understanding could be a note, a handwritten note from a parent or a grandparent or a friend or a a child, something that speaks to love or forgiveness or reconciliation, something that speaks to the deepest part of your life and what it means to be in relationship with that person. And I want to stretch that understanding of sacred text even further this morning and suggest to you that the body can be understood as a sacred text. That there is a sacred seal set upon each body, that our flesh and bone bodies are created by the spirit of life, and the soft animal of our body is a sacred text, a living story. Our bodies are filled with wisdom. Our bodies contain hundreds of sacred stories. They are sacred places of knowing. And if you're with me, and if you at least are willing to say that's possible, that our bodies are sacred texts, places of deep knowing, then that has real implications for how we live our lives. If you believe or are leaning toward the idea that the body is a sacred text, then part of our spiritual work in this lifetime. Part of our spiritual work is to learn how to read and tell the stories of our bodies. Part of our work is also, in addition to learning the stories of our own bodies, to be witness to the sacred stories of other bodies, other people. Let me share a concrete example of what I mean. This is a story from author and educator Parker Palmer, someone who has shaped my ministry and my thinking about so much in life. And he shares this time openly and honestly. He tells about moving through depression in his life a number of times, and this one time when he sank into a very deep depression. And he says people would come and visit. They would come all the time and visit, but it wasn't helpful, he says, because he sensed that they wanted him to feel better because of his because of their presence. They came in and said, you know, hang in there, and here's a card, and we're thinking about you. And he sensed that they thought their love and kindness would help him emerge from his depression, and it wasn't. It didn't. The only thing that comforted him during that time was a friend who would come over and sit down next to him and untie his shoes and take off his shoes 
and then rub and massage his feet and just sit there with him without saying a word. This friend treated Parker Palmer's body as a sacred story. And in that moment, one of, that, one of Parker Palmer's sacred stories from his body was a story of deep depression, that place of darkness that our bodies can and do descend into. Tell me about despair, his friend seemed to be saying to Parker Palmer. Tell me, I will listen. And that friend showed up and witnessed to the sacred story of Parker Palmer's body and its journey through depression. That friend showed up and assured him through presence and touch that even in his condition, Parker Palmer's body had a place in the order of things. Our bodies, these sacred texts, they hold thousands of stories, stories that long to be told, stories that long to be witnessed. Some of the stories are visible, right? They are scars from a childhood injury, perhaps. I have a scar, maybe some of you have noticed it on my lip here, and it is not uncommon at social gatherings or dinner parties for people to say, Justin, I think you have a little mayonnaise or something right up there on your, on your lip because in the right light, it looks like there's mustard or mayonnaise on my lip. It's actually from a bike accident my freshman year in college where I went down into the asphalt and tore up my lip and there's much more of a story there. So some of the stories are visible. Scars, a heart surgery, a C-section, a mastectomy, an accident we've been in, those are the visible stories. When we trust enough to let the scars speak, to tell the story of the body, there are often rich and tear-filled stories that just come tumbling out. And of course, there are sacred stories that have no physical marker on the body. There are sacred stories about a first kiss or the birth of a child or the loss of a child, or stories about rape and ways our body has been violated, stories about fear, discomfort, stories about safety and love and intimacy, stories about race and where we hold race in our bodies. There are stories about the divine and what we know of the divine in our bodies. And today I want to suggest that understanding the body as sacred text, our body and other bodies as sacred text, that that can be a spiritual practice that we can engage in to strengthen our relationships with others. I think this is a particularly helpful practice for people in committed relationships, but it transcends just committed relationships. It can apply to anyone. So as I was thinking about this sermon and putting it together, I realized at this point that I was nearing that edge of giving um, relationship advice, uh, which I felt hesitant to do. Um, I don't know the details of your relationships or your lives, but I reflected on this and I realized that secretly, at least for me, 
um, we all long for some pointers, some tips, some ideas, some practices. In fact, as I was really sitting with this and thinking about this sermon, I remembered back to when I was about 12, 13 years old, and I remember how much I loved opening up the paper growing up in Colorado, opening up the paper and reading Dear Abby. <laughs> 12 or 13-year-old me opening it up, and especially when people would write in to Dear Abby and they had questions about relationships or sex. I remember loving opening that up and reading to what she had to say. But the person that I really liked back in my early teen years was Dr. Ruth Westheimer. <laughs> Many of you remember Dr. Ruth Westheimer. She, she was amazing. She was, this, um, she was a, a sex therapist who had her own radio show. And one day, I'm again, about 12 or 13 years old, a friend and I were just I don't know, up late or doing something, and we were playing with the radio, and we came across her show on the radio, and we were hooked. <laughs> it, was like, it was like we, would, we discovered like a whole shelf full of books that had like all this information that would tell us things we needed to know, and her honest and incredibly straightforward talk was uh, incredible. In fact, I remember telling my parents, this is around the same time, um, that I really wanted to get a radio. <laughs> I was like, I really want to get a radio, and it, the reason I want to get a radio is so I can listen to Garrison Keillor and Prairie Home Companion. <laughs> That's what I told them, because we listened to Garrison Keillor and Prairie Home Companion. I, I like Garrison Keillor. I, li- I did listen, but the truth was, I really wanted to listen to Dr. Ruth. I, I felt like I could count on her for good, solid, practical information not that I was applying any of it at that point in my life. I was about 13. But my point is, there, here was this source of information. Here was this person offering tips and tricks and ideas. And I still long for that today, whether it's a radio show or a shelf full of books or something. I, I, I love people to say, hey, have you thought about this? Have you thought about this? So that's the spirit in which uh, I will share this advice, and I will frame it up. In, spirit, in the language of spiritual practice. That's how I live a lot of my life. This is a spiritual practice you can engage in. The things I'm about to share here. Uh, many of you will know in the past, I've talked about the challenges of being in a long-term committed relationship. There's this sort of dull routine that can set in at times. Life can become, not always, but often, it's an unending list of uh, flow of things that's shopping and cleaning and doing clothes and folding clothes and putting clothes away and raising kids if you have kids. And there's a sense in which your partner can become a housemate or a roommate rather than that person you fell in love with when you were, you know, so long ago or whatever it was, a lover. There's nothing wrong with this, by the way. This just happens. This is just part of life, I think. But here's where Here's where the advice and the spiritual practice can come in and break that cycle open, break that cycle of like just moving through life. It's just kind of a routine. So if you're stuck in that place, this advice, the spiritual practice might be a way out. And here it is. Imagine the body of your partner as a sacred text, a story a story to be curious about, a sacred story worthy of your time and attention. 
right? So often we see our partners as what they do, or they're changing diapers, or they're paying bills, or they're arguing with the kids, that we forget there is so much more there, so much more to who they are. We think we know them, we think we know the story that's right in front of us, and therefore we stop seeing what's really in front of us. The practice of seeing another as a sacred text is about coming back to the miracle, the sacred story that is the body, that is the person right in front of you. I would suggest that your partner or close friend, people in your life who are your, you are near to, they are sacred texts. They are holy scripture, a sacred map to be read and discovered and understood. And you can get curious about the sacred text in front of you. That is a way out of that routine. If you're in a tough spot in your relationship, here's another thing you could try, the same kind of practice. Imagine that you've never laid eyes on your partner before. See them with those new eyes, with fresh eyes. Understand that they are, in fact, a unique creation. And sometimes, I realize, you just have to go get into a new environment, get in a plane or a car or some other environment in order to really see each other as sacred texts, to see each other with new eyes. But when you can start this, when you do this, it can lead to a place where your spiritual garden, your soul, your shared life, your intimacy, where that can begin to grow. So that's the first practice. See your partner, really see all people as sacred texts. Here's the second practice. And it's about paying attention to the sacred stories of our own body, paying attention to the deep wisdom in our own body. Here's how it works. On a regular basis, perhaps weekly, sit down with your partner and identify. Sit down with your partner and then identify and then pull out, after you've identified them, pull out all of the tiny arrows that you have intentionally or unintentionally fired into each other's bodies over the course of the week. You're laughing. (laughs) I don't know if I've lost some of you or not with that um, imagery, that archery imagery and the arrows, so let me explain a little bit more about what I'm pointing to here. In this book I just recently read, How to Think More About Sex, the author writes, Once we're in love, in a serious relationship, There is no such thing as a minor detail. Once we're in love in a serious relationship, there is no such thing as a minor detail. He goes on to explain. He says, for example, and I added some of my own examples here. For example, it might seem like it's a minor thing that a new haircut goes unnoticed. Or that your spouse never loads the dishwasher properly. Or that the trash sits on the back porch a little while before it gets taken out to the dumpster. These are minor things, tiny annoyances, brief moments of frustration or resentment. Minor, minor things. But these little things add up. And each time something like this happens, it's as if our partner has just shot a tiny arrow at us. How could they not notice the new haircut? Don't they care about me? Don't they know what a big deal this is? And then a little arrow of resentment and hurt gets stuck in our body. 
Over the course of an average week, each partner may be hit and in turn shoot dozens of these tiny arrows without even realizing that they're doing it. It's just these tiny little missteps or little micro-resentments or frustrations or angers. It's almost so small it's impossible to keep track of. You just you can feel yourself withdraw a little bit or turn away or, or not engage, but you can't point to something concrete. The impact is huge, however. There's often a slow sort of cooling between the two of you. There's a disinclination to intimacy, emotional or otherwise. It makes sense. Intimacy is a gift that we're not really willing to give if we're angry or feel resentful or hurt. It is hard to have all our cities become twin cities, all our states united when we are hurt and angry. The tiny arrows add up. And you know they're adding up. They've added up a lot when there's a low-level resentment that just kind of exists between the two of you in your relationship. You can't quite pinpoint the source of the problem, but you can tell something is off. And if you don't address it, in my experience, this is how it unfolds. You will have a huge blow-up over the smallest thing imaginable. And you will... You, you will step back from that and you will think, what the heck just happened here? Why am I so worked up about this little thing? And you're left reeling, wondering about the state of your relationship and what is going on. And this is where the spiritual practice comes in. The spiritual practice is to slow down and to make time and to sit with your partner and then ask your body this question. Ask your body this question as you replay through the week. What arrows were shot at me this week? What micro-resentments, what micro-resentments do I feel in my body? And if you listen, if you can pull down some of the defenses, and if you can listen and sit there with your partner, I think the sacred text of your body will tell you its story. If you go slow and pay attention, your body will take you back to the moments where you felt that tiny hurt where you felt ignored or slighted or dismissed by your partner, where you started to withdraw or withhold, your body knows. It can tell you where the arrows have landed, where those micro-hurts are. And once you know where those arrows are, where they've landed, you can name them, you can pull them out, you can build a little pile of them together with your partner and then be done with at least that round of the arrows. You can forgive one another. You can begin again in love. So that's the second practice. Sounds simple, but I think it's very difficult, but it's a worthwhile practice. Tune in to the wisdom of your body. Discover the little arrows that are stuck in you. And this can happen with close friends. It's not just a partner you're intimate with. Discover the arrows that are stuck in you and then pull them out. The first practice I shared with you is to see your partner, to see other people as sacred texts. And the second practice is to tune in to the sacred text of your own body, to let it tell you where those arrows are and then to remove them. Here's what I hope you leave with this morning. Here's what I hope you remember that bodies are sacred texts. Your body and the body of others. Young bodies, old bodies, 
paralyzed bodies, frail bodies. Bodies are sacred texts. So this morning, this morning I invite you to awaken to the Holy Scripture that is all around you. I invite you to awaken to the Holy Scripture that is your body. May it be so. And amen.